0: STORY NINE OF Trolley Folly by Henry Wallace Phillips This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. STORY NINE Hohankton, Petty, and Others The Tale of the Trained Pig Do you remember Red's pig, Foxy Bill? said Hydraulic Smith. Well, I was in a camp that had a pig for its chief feature myself. He wasn't a fat, comfortable old lad like Foxy Bill, but a sort of cross between a razorback and a buffalo. He was a little feller, with a mane on his head and on his shoulders. He had high shoulders on him, like a buffalo, but, as for the rest of him, he was that thin you wouldn't have known him for a pig, except for the curly tail at the end. He was our sole and only pet. We was too high in the air for cats. They died of heart disease. Nobody owned a dog. We called Piggy Johannes eliphus Hohankton for a noted statesman in that part of the country, a great man on the pension vote believe he drew three himself that told us politics with one wooden leg and a mouthful of language trying to gurgle through greaser Peppy's gin. I think Ho-Hankton discovered the lack of dogs in town, for he tried to act the part as much as he could. He'd go trotting up Main Street, kind of sniffing at you and rolling his eyes, give two or three squeaks like a dog when you called to him. Then sometimes he'd go moseying around important, full of his own business, just as you see dogs do. He took care of the coats and the lunch boxes. If a stranger came around, he'd show his tusk with his lip all curled up and growl something ferocious. He was a right smart animal. I can see him now going the links of Main Street, sounding like a busted clarinet player telling his woes in music to let you know he was there, and that if there was a donut or some sass or in fact almost anything that a hog might like you could please your friend ho hankton by putting it forth but nothing in the world got him fat he was built like a fish fore and aft and in a straightaway i think he could hold a jackrabbit the judge he was a heavy-built old man who wore his chin on his breast most of the time when Hank walked alongside of him, he hunched up his back like the judge and put on much the same expression until the judge rumbled out, "Durn that hog, and give him a scratch on the back with his cane. Then, if there was a lively bunch, why, like Hank was married to, He would trot and amble with one side and gallop with the other, making prancing steps, biting at his own tail till an oyster'd laugh. We had miles of claims on the bank. The pay was light, howsomever, and you had to send about 20 acres down the stream to get enough to pay the hands off. We had plenty of water on a 200-foot fall, or it wouldn't have paid for the trouble. Howsomever, we sent an almighty lot of farmland down where the ranchers didn't want it. They objected to our covering their vegetables with four solid foot of tailings. Consequently, they kicked like anything. But it was just my job against vegetable job. And after the law courts had been worn out and decided, the roves is red, the sky is blue. We don't know nothing, no more'n you. And everybody had an injunction out against somebody else, which he couldn't enforce. Why, it came back to our old friend, Physical Trouble, again. The farmers outnumbered us, but we ranked in the first class for physical trouble, so there hadn't been anything but an exchange of personal remarks. There was just one rancher, who grew too fast when he was young, and then stopped too quick after he grew up, came at us fierce. He called us all kinds of twisted crooks and straight-out thieves he could think of. He had it in for me particular. Once, as he got to putting it on me, he grew excited and began to swing an axe around. He came nigh hitting the stream one or two passes, and I told him, You jaybird, you'll be a-sittin' and a-singin' on a limb if you monkey with that little squirt of water. You are perfectly safe from me during working hours, but don't fool with our piping lay. Not one man in a million knows what a stream of water can do, and he was one of the million that didn't. So he reared up and said he would splash the water over me, and he raised his axe. I had half a mind to turn the lever and squirt him over the neighboring bluff, but I had pity in my soul, so I hollers, don't but them words was too late he is one of the very few men who will ever tell anybody how he tried cutting a hydraulic stream in two while he was blasting me he wandered about sitting on his horse loose the axe came down i was looking right plumb at him but just how when and in what way he disappeared i will never tell you I followed the direction of the streams till I found him. He was curled up on his back, about half the axe handle in his hand. Soon as I came in sight, he hollered, Whoa! I stared at him. I come a little nearer, and he yelled, Whoa! again, and tried to scramble to his feet. I learned afterwards that he had been a mule skinner for a while and thought his team had turned on him. "'I grabbed him by the neck. "'Now, you horny-headed son of toil,' I said to him. "'You learn one thing today. "'Keep on doing that for three thousand six hundred and seventy-five days in the year, "'and by the end of that time you won't put your thumb on the buzzsaw. "'You don't mean to tell me a stream of water done that,' he gasps out. "'You have three shies at it,' I said. "'I'll furnish the axes, and every time that stream doesn't knock you one hundred and fifty feet, you get a new cigar. "'Wanna buy in the game?' I shambled him off to his wagon, and dumped him in. He laid low for his revenge, like the darned farmer he was, and meanwhile O'Hankton was the cause of our undoing. Animals have a heap more sense about natural things than men has. Hank got in the way of following the boys over to the side of the creek. You know, I used to undercut the bank while the boys worked a big stone out for me and loosened up dirt here and there. I was as careless fellows as you'd see. Yet, at the same time, no man wants an 80-foot bank of dirt on top of him and so they'd be quite anxious in their minds for about five minutes before the slide came. The first day Hank went over there, he threw up his head as though he'd smelled something, straightened his tail, grunted loud, and away he went. The boys near got pinched looking at him and laughing. When they went back, Hank went back, and the next time he blew his signal, everybody departed we were not such a swell-headed crowd we couldn't learn a thing from an animal hank old boy rocks was just as right as he was before and after that he took up his position as official notifier and he never went wrong the boys could work right along till they heard that squeal and then do fast time to the creek we was proud enough of hanky before But now he had this actual stunt of his that we could prove to any or all lookers-on, our chest stuck out till the buttons popped off. Other fellows would drop in with stories of dogs that had done all the wonderful things that you have heard tell of, and cats that used to milk cows and horses that could figure up to six times six and all them lovely relations that gets to be natural history around the camps. And we could stand for it and say, yes, just as if we believed it. Then we'd remark we had a pig in camp. It wouldn't say anything more until Hank signaled and the visitor would begin to open his mouth to see everybody a-running, asking why. Then down come the bank. Usually the stranger went and put up money that it wouldn't happen again. After three times, though, he'd let go, scratching his head and meditating. It's so. I see it's so. But how the blazes a pig knows more about the acts of gravitation than a white man, you tell me now. And we'd answer we weren't going to tell him. Let him find out, same as we did. Well he'd admit in a kind of grudging way that that pig of ours was quite a curiosity. Yes, he'd admit it, in a sort of easy offhand style, that old Hank was quite a curiosity, and we didn't have to say anything. They would go on from Placerville, working the yarn up, until 50 mile away it seemed we had a pig that could smell a paste streak, always pointing like a pointer dog, when he smelled the gold, that he usually walks back home on the hydraulic stream, and that when it was time for a bank to fall, he would make sounds that sounded so much like, look out, that you couldn't hardly tell the difference from a man's yelling it, except that it had a kind of pig brogue to it, as it were, and so forth. We didn't have to advertise Hank one particle. Even that gall-darn farmer heard of it and slouched around on the quiet till he see how things lay. Well, here's the way he come near getting even. If there's anything I ever really did love, it is to get my hands on a monitor lever and just feel that old streak of water flyin' across, smacking, gargling, and gurgling in the earth, ripping her out, mud and suds a flying all over, rocks gone too, and just a little touch bringing the blade in the stream and swingin' her round, cause, you know, four men couldn't turn that nozzle by bull's strength, where just a little blade that cut into it at each side made it turn like a delicate vine. Now, I like that as well as when I used to live back east, in a little old town up in New York. And it was my job to water the front street, and when there come a carriage along, I always used to be absent-minded somehow, and that carriage would run right into the water, and then them good old aunts of mine used to explain it, how absent-minded I was, and the ladies that got wet wouldn't listen to it, and a nigger coachman and I had it around the barn fast. Well, I was just the same kind of kid again when the monitor was playing, and the sun was shining, and the clouds was sailing, and the grass was growing, and everything that ought to happen was happening. Yes, my mind was in an A-1 condition, peace and goodwill toward men, and everything else. When all of a sudden, Hank gives his three locomotive whistles and pulls for the shore, followed by twenty grown-up men, falling over bushes, jumping over boulders, galloping and waving their arms in wild excitement, Hank far in the lead. What in thunder, I said to myself, that bank ain't nowise loosening. When I happened to look down, and there on a little bench, clapping his hands, sat the gorilla-faced, swivel-jointed rancher, and there was coming up to him a black-and-tan dog, no bigger'n three rats. He couldn't see me, and the boys couldn't see him. They watched for that bank to fall, and there wasn't any fall, and they waited, and they began cussing their good old friend Hank, "'that had never failed him once before. "'When I thought of Hank being this abused "'just because a cussed little dog, "'a kind of beast he ain't never seen in his life before, "'has run him out, "'my fighting blood began to run quick "'all around my veins and arteries, "'and I thinks to myself, "'Oh, you gall potato-bug assassin, "'you slayer of squish-bugs.' here's where you get the thirty-third degree of free and accepted masonry with all its tips spurs right angles and variations so mote it be it wasn't the hour for blue checks to run in my direction i grabbed the elevator wheel and sent the stream heavenward started her swinging hoping to drop it right on the back of mr rancher's neck I didn't intend to push him into the bank and hold him there. No, I was the slickest boy handling the stream the country contained, and I thought perhaps I could hit him in the neck with about 700 assorted tons of water and leave his hat hanging in the air. I wanted to do something real nice to him. Well, it was me that got it. I always told the boss he didn't load the tripod heavy enough. When I sent the stream up, she teetered for fair. It was like a camel buck-jumping. There ain't much give to three iron legs, and so, friends, I was sitting up and down times oftener than I could realize. There wasn't a bronc buster that wouldn't have yelled, he's a rider, if he'd seen me stick to that machine we crow hopped on the rocks back and forwards and all men all we pitched forward and back and we did the double teeter and as for the stream the smack when she hit things sounded just like a little small giant baby nine hundred feet high clapping his hands with glee Sometimes, through the whiz and howl, I could hear men's voices asking why I'd done so, and they no longer sounded like the voices of comrades and friends. I was helpless as a child. I couldn't grab lever, wheel, or nothing. Finally, one leg toppled off an edge of rock, and then, well, she shot the cook's shanty across the stream two hundred yards, first whack it was so sudden it didn't even put the fire out the boys took their solemn oaths the kitchen stove went across smoking as calm and peaceful as anything just like it had decided to take a little fly nothing to interrupt business but just the kind of exercise you would think a cook stove would take yet they was astonished that i should shoot a cook stove across the stream while they was standing there astonished, the old nozzle bucked way back and plowed a well in a bank ten feet away. I bet you that stream could shoot a hole right up Niagara Falls, and when she mixed it with the mess of dirt and rock in that bank, kicking it backwards at me, old Napoleon at Waterloo was a dumb poor effigy for High Smith i couldn't see how it was ever going to be possible for me to breathe again and the awful roar and swatting and smashing makes it queer how i ever got to hear her think again but she passed through that bank of dirt in no time and all the fellows that was asking where's he gone found out they got the last of the bank "'Men could show you dents where pebbles no bigger'n buckshot had been blown into em. "'The old monitor was real gay "'and thought she was a Fourth of July pinwheel, "'and after that there was nothing but waterworks "'on the whole Cussed Creek. "'She took from one side to the other in quick swings. "'Billy, the cook,' said he saw a block of boards take wings and sail right over hooker's mountain i was dumb and gee whizzled till my head was full of curled hair and insect powder i hung on with all hands and feet by instinct like an insect until finally we steadied down and played in the same place for half a minute and i brushed some of the water out of my eyes beside me was hank looking reproachful as much as to say i thought you knew your limit high but you must have stayed in town too long last time then the next thing that appeared was that darned little black and tan dog that had caused the whole trouble followed by our friend the rancher i pined to wash his whiskers but it was not to be the monitor had jacked all her levers and cogs by knocking around come on i yelped to the crowd come on you flapjack faces help me hold this critter down they gotta move on we tied the monitor and sent word to shut off the water whilst we was all stepping on each other's feet i thought i heard a mixture of sounds like small roars and large kai but the farmer he was very busy thinking we might catch on to who did all this and come down to his cabin some night and take his whiskers as a momentum i had been pounded enough so one of the lads took my place i stepped out there was a battle going on that cussed little black and tan terrier was snapping and flying around poor old Hohankton. "'that had never received anything but kind treatment in his life "'and scarcely knew what to make of this. "'I hate a black-and-tan dog, anyway. "'I like to see a dog with legs big enough and long enough to support his body "'and with a body hefty enough to give the legs something to do. "'This yapping little devil didn't have none of my sympathies.' When I looked at the miserable beast, I felt something had to happen to him. Just then, he made a quick jump and nailed old Hank by the nose, and at the very same minute, somebody hollered for me to come and fix something. After I pounded my thumb and wrenched my wrist, getting the lever back in some shape again, they stopped the water off, and the country was saved. Then I grabbed that farmer and began to recite facts about his career while the boys spit on their hands and took hold of shovels. It looked like Uncle Farmer would lead an upright life for some time, but he begged and hollered and pled. So the fellas loosed him from the position where we could best apply shovels, and he explained that he didn't go for to do all this when he started, and we let him up he rose to his feet and apologized to us singly and collectively and then he says now i'll just get little petty and ride right along home and he began to holler petty 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 and all that come was old hank who looked him straight in the face well what has become of that derned little coyote says everybody "'And then it just occurred to me that I knew, "'so I went back to where i had seen little Petty "'grab old Hank by the nose. "'And sure enough, there was a lovely little black tail. "'I brought it down to the rancher, and I said, "'Little Petty has departed, "'but he, she, or it leaves this for you as a souvenir. "'The rancher says, gosh almighty, "'as if he couldn't believe his eyes.' I held up the tail, and I asked Hank, "'Here, little hanky-panky. "'Did it eat the rest of little petty?' "'And Hank looked at the tail and slouched off, "'with a kind of long and non-complaining squeal. "'Well,' says the boss, brisk, "'if we find any more little petty, "'we'll send it down to you. "'But I guess that's all you can collect of him now.' "'Well, darn nation,' said the farmer, AND HE BRUSHED OFF THE DUST AND DIRT OF HIS HANDS ON HIS TROUSER'S LEG. WELL, SAY, SAYS HE, I DON'T KNOW WHETHER TO WEEP OR TO YELL hosanna. AS FOR ME, PERSONALLY, HE SAID, THAT CUSSED LITTLE DOG HAS nigh CHEWED MY FINGERS OFF, AND HE SHOWED US ALL KINDS OF BITES ON HIS FINGERS. BUT, HE SAYS, ON THE OTHER HAND, IT'S MY WIFE'S PET. "'and every time one of the children lets itself get bit by it, "'why, their mother raises sin with them for tormenting it. "'If I had a good lie ready, I wouldn't weep one bit. "'But the circumstances and hullabaloo's and waterfalls and geysers "'I've seen in the last twenty minutes have left my mind running in streaks. "'We all looked at one another and couldn't think of anything.' so we shook our heads. Well, said he, perhaps by the time I get home I'll be able to explain how little Petty separated himself from this. And he twirled the last remains. Perhaps I can, he said. I don't bear you boys the slightest grudge no more. I can't. I set this dog on your pig a purpose, and I can't pretend to be at all sorry that your pig had him up. He shook his head again and fixed his hat on. "'Well,' says he, "'matrimony is the mother of invention. "'I reckon I'll get out of it somehow. Goodbye, boys.' And he took one more look at Petty's tail and put it in his pocket. "'If anything happens to me, "'you will know who it is by that,' said he. "'As for the rest of us, we enjoyed ourselves figuring on just what that rancher could explain. You can bring home a dog and say its tail has been cut off some way, but to bring home a tail and say the dog has been cut off some way is a hard proposition to work on the female mind that has lived on a ranch 20 years or so. End of Story 9 Recording by Tom Penn